Section 10 of History of New England, 1630 to 1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630 to 1649 by John Winthrop. Section 10. From A Short Story of the Rise, Reign, and Ruin of the Antinomians. Footnote. The portion which we quote is on pages 59 to 66 of the original, pages 217 to 233 of Mr. C.F. Adams' Prince Society volume, Antinomianism in the Colony of Massachusetts Bay, Boston, 1894, in footnote. The reference in the last sentence is to the short story of the rise, reign, and ruin of the Antinobians and Libertines that infected the churches of New England, London, 1644, some extracts from which are here introduced. Although Savage maintained to the day of his death that the short story was the work of Thomas Weld, who from his Roxbury pastorate had gone to England in 1641 as agent of the colony, all other important authorities, Charles Dean, Samuel G. Drake, J. G. Pelfrey, Joseph B. Felt, and Charles Francis Adams assert confidently that it was the work of Winthrop, accepting the preface to which Thomas Weld signed his name. Mr. Adams in particular, who edited the document in 1894 for the Prince Society, appending to it two important papers, the examination of Anne Hutchinson and the trial of Mrs. Hutchinson before the church in Boston, treats the subject elaborately in his introduction, declaring that the short story is as much a part of the journal as the journey to the Hebrides is part of Boswell's life of Samuel Johnson, and that separation is as inappropriate in one case as the other. In this edition, the conclusion of the scholars mentioned is accepted. Savage's persistent attribution of the authorship to Weld is to be regarded as a characteristic instance of that tenacity, which, though often serviceable, was sometimes perverted and ran into unreasonable obstinacy. The limits of this work forbid consideration of the question of the authorship of the short story, and also the printing of the documented tire. We give only the more interesting and significant part, referring to the seeker for fuller knowledge to books easily found. The whole text of the short story can be best studied in C.F. Adams' reprint, where the contemporary tracts bearing upon the matter are also given. In the same author's Three Episodes of Massachusetts History, the case of Anne Hutchinson is again treated in the second division. Peter Oliver, Puritan Commonwealth, and Brooks Adams, Emancipation of Massachusetts, handle the subject without sympathy for the party in power, while the intolerant fathers receive at the hands of Palfrey treatment more judicial, and are sturdily championed by Henry M. Dexter, as to Roger Williams and his banishment from the Massachusetts plantation, and John A. Vinton, the antinomian controversy of 1637. A facsimile of the title page of the short story is given in the present volume. Mistress Hutchinson, being banished and confined till the season of the year might be fit and safe for her departure, she thought it now needless to conceal herself any longer, neither would Satan lose the opportunity of making choice of so fit an instrument, so long as any hope remained to attain his mischievous end in darkening the saving truth of Lord Jesus and disturbing the peace of his churches. Therefore she began now to discover all her mind to such as came to her, so that her opinions came abroad and began to take place among her old disciples, and now some of them raised up questions about the immortality of the soul, about the resurrection, about the morality of the Sabbath, and diverse others, which the elders finding to begin to appear in some of their churches they took much pains, both in public and private, to suppress. And following the scent from one to another, the root of all was found to be in Mistress Hutchinson, 
whereupon they resorted to her many times laboring to convince her but in vain yet they resorted to her still to the end that they might either reclaim her from her errors or that they might bear witness against them if occasion were for in a meeting of the magistrates and elders about suppressing these new-sprung errors the elders of boston had declared their readiness to deal with mistress hutchinson in a church way if they had sufficient testimony for though she had maintained some of them sometimes before them yet they thought it not so orderly to come in as witnesses whereupon other of the elders and others collecting which they had heard from her own mouth at several times threw them into several heads and sent them to the church of boston whereupon the church with leave of the magistrates because she was a prisoner sent for her to appear upon a lecture day being the fifteenth of the first month and though she were at her own house in the town yet she came not into the assembly till the sermon and prayer were ended pretending bodily infirmity when she was come one of the ruling elders called her forth before the assembly which was very great from all parts of the country and telling her the cause why the church had called her read the several heads which were as follows one that the souls of all men in regard of generation are mortal like the beasts ecclesiastes chapter three verse eight second that in regard of christ's purchase they are immortal so that christ hath purchased the souls of the wicked to eternal pain and the souls of the elect to eternal peace third those who are united to christ have in this life new bodies and two bodies first corinthians six nineteen she knows not how jesus christ should be united to this our fleshly bodies fourth those who have union with christ shall not rise with the same fleshly bodies first corinthians fifteen forty four fifth and that the resurrection mentioned there and in john five twenty eight is not meant of the resurrection of the body but of our union here and after this life sixth that there are no created graces in the saints after their union with christ but before there are for christ takes them out of their hands into his own seventh there are no created graces in the human nature of christ but he was only acted by the power of the godhead eighth the image of god wherein adam was made she could see no scripture to warrant that it consisted in holiness but conceived it to be in that he was made like to christ's manhood ninth she had no scripture to warrant that christ's manhood is now in heaven but the body of christ is his church tenth we are united to christ with the same union that is humanity on earth was with the deity john seventeen twenty one eleventh she conceived the disciples before christ's death were not converted matthew eighteen three twelfth there is no evidence to be had of our good estate either from absolute or conditional promises thirteenth the law is no rule of life to a christian fourteenth there is no kingdom of heaven in scripture but only christ fifteenth there is first engrafting into christ before union from which a man may fall away sixteenth the first thing god reveals to assure us is our election seventeenth that abraham was not in the saving state till the twenty-second chapter of genesis when he offered isaac and saving the firmness of god's election he might have perished notwithstanding any work of grace that was wrought in him till then eighteenth that union to christ is not by faith nineteenth that all commands in the word are law and are not a way of life and the command of faith is a law and therefore killeth she supposed it to be a law from romans three twenty seven twentieth that there is no faith of god's elect but assurance there is no faith of the dependence but such as a hypocrite may have and fall away from proved john fifteen for by that she said they are in christ but christ is not in them twenty first 
that a hypocrite may have Adam's righteousness and perish, and by that righteousness he is bound to the law, but in union with Christ, Christ comes to the man, and he retains the seed and dies, and then all manner of grace in himself, but all in Christ. 22nd. There is no such thing as inherent righteousness. 23rd. We are not bound to the law, no, not as a rule of life. 24th. We are dead to all acts and spiritual things, and are only acted by Christ. 25th. Not being bound to the law, it is not transgression against the law to sin, or break it, because our sins, they are inward and spiritual, and so are exceedingly sinful, and only are against Christ. 26th. Sanctification can be no evidence at all of our good estate. 27th. That our particular revelations about future events are as infallible as any part of Scripture, and that she is bound as much to believe them as the Scripture, for the same Holy Ghost is the author of them both. 28th that so far as a man is in union with Christ, he can do no duties perfectly, and without the communion of the unregenerate part with the regenerate. Twenty-ninth, that such exhortations as these, to work out our salvation with fear, to make our calling and election sure, etc., are spoken only to such as are under a covenant of works. All which she did acknowledge she had spoken, for a copy of them had been sent to her diverse days before, and the witness's hand subscribed, so as she saw it, it was in vain to deny them. Then she asked by what rule such an elder could come to her pretending to desire light, and indeed to entrap her, to which the same elder answered that he had been twice with her, and that he had told her indeed at St. Ives, that he had been troubled at some of her speeches in the court, wherein he did desire to see light for the ground and meaning of them, but he professed in the presence of the Lord that he came not to entrap her, but in compassion to her soul, to help her out of those snares of the devil, wherein he saw she was entangled and that before his departure from her he did bear witness against her opinions, and against her spirit, and did leave it sadly upon her from the word of God, and then presently she grew into passion against her pastor, footnote, John Wilson, in footnote, for his speech against her at the court after the sentence was passed, which he gave a full answer unto, showing his zeal against her heirs, whereupon she asked for what heirs she had been banished, professing withal that she held none of these things she was now charged with before her imprisonment, supposing that whatsoever should be found amiss would be imputed to that, but it was answered as the truth was that she was not put to durance, but only a favorable confinement, so as all of her family and diverse others resorted to her at their pleasure. But this allegation was then proved false, and at her next convention more fully, for there were diverse present who did not know she spake untruth. Her answer being demanded to the first article, she maintained her assertion that the souls were mortal, etc., alleging the place in the Ecclesiastes cited in the article, and some other scriptures nothing to the purpose. She insisted much that in Genesis 1, in the day thou eatest, etc., thou shalt die, she could not see how a soul could be immortally miserable, though it might be eternally miserable, neither could she distinguish between the soul and the life, and though she were pressed by many scriptures and reasons alleged by the elders of the same and other churches, so as she could not give any answer to them, yet she stood to her opinion, till at length the stranger, footnote, the stranger was probably the Reverend John Davenport, at the time a guest of John Cotton. He came to New England in 1637, reaching Boston on the 26th of June, in the midst of the antinomian excitement. He took an active part in the Cambridge Synod of the following September, but in March 1638, at the time of the occurrences of the events referred to in the text, 
having perfected all his arrangements, was about to migrate to Connecticut in company with many of those who had come with him from England, being in the language of Cotton Mather, more fit for Zebulon's ports than for Issachar's tents. C.F. Adams, in footnote. Being desired to speak to the point, and he opening to her the difference between the soul and the life, the first being a spiritual substance, and the other the union of that with the body, she then confessed she saw more light than before, and so with some difficulty was brought to confess her error in that point. Wherein was to be observed, that though he spake to very good purpose, and so clearly convinced her as she could not gainsay, yet it was evident she was convinced before, but she could not give the honor of it to her own pastor or teacher, nor to any of the other elders whom she had so much slighted. Then they proceeded to the third, fourth, and fifth articles about the body and the resurrection of the dead, which she maintained according to the articles, and though she was not able to give any reasonable answer to the many places of the scripture, and other arguments which were brought to convince her, yet she still persisted in her error, giving froward speeches to some that spake to her, as when one of the elders used this argument, that if the resurrection were only our union with Christ, then all that are united are the children of the resurrection, and therefore are neither to marry, nor to give in marriage, and so by consequence, there ought to be a community of women, she told him that he spake like the Pharisees, who said that Christ had a devil, because that Abraham was dead and the prophets, and yet he had said that those which eat his flesh never die, not taking the speech in the true meaning, so did he, said she, who brought the argument, for it is said there, they should be like the angels, etc. The elders of Boston, finding her thus obstinate, propounded to the church for an admonition to be given her, to which all the church consented except two of her sons, who, because they persisted to defend her, were under admonition also. Mr. Cotton gave the admonition, and first to her sons, laying it sadly upon them that they would give such way to their natural affection, as for preserving her honor, they should make a breach upon the honor of Christ and upon their covenant with the church, and withal tear the very bowels of their soul by hardening her in her sin. In this admonition to her, first, he remembered her of the good way she was in at her first coming, in helping to discover to diverse the false bottom they stood upon, entrusting to legal works without Christ. Then he showed her how, by falling into these gross and fundamental errors, she had lost the honor of her former service, and done more wrong to Christ and his church, than formerly she had done good, and so laid her sin to her conscience with much zeal and solemnity. He admonished her also of the height of spirit. Then he spake to the sisters of the church, and advised them to take heed of her opinions, and to withhold all countenance and respects from her, lest they should harden her in her sin. So she was dismissed, and appointed to appear again that day seven night. The court had ordered that she should return to Roxbury again, but upon intimation that her spirit began to fall, she was permitted to remain at Mr. Cotton's house, where Davenport was also kept, who before her next appearing did both take much pains with her, and prevailed so far that she did acknowledge her error in all the articles except the last, and accordingly she wrote down her answers to them all. When the day came, and she was called forth and the articles read again to her, she delivered in her answers in writing which were also read, and being then willing to speak to the congregation for their further satisfaction, she did acknowledge that she had greatly erred, and that God had left her to herself wherein, because she had so much under-natured his ordinances, both in slighting the magistrates at the court and also the elders of the church, and confessed that when she was at the court she looked only at such failings as she apprehended the magistrates' proceedings, without having regard to the place they were in, 
and that the speeches she then used about her revelations were rash and without ground, and she desired the prayers of the church for her. Thus far she went on well, and the assembly conceived hope of her repentance, but in her answers to the several articles she gave no satisfaction, because in diverse of them she answered by circumlocutions, and seemed to lay all the faults in her expressions, which occasioned some of the elders to desire she might express herself more clearly, and for that ever she was demanded about the article, whether she were not, or had not been of that judgment, that there is no inherent righteousness in the saints, but those gifts and graces which are ascribed to them that are only in Christ as the subject? To which she answered, that she was never of that judgment, however by her expression she might seem to be so. And this she affirmed with such confidence as bred great astonishment in many, who had known the contrary, and diverse alleged her own sayings and reasonings, both before her confinement and since, which did manifest to all that were present, that she knew that she spake on truth, for it was proved that she had alleged that an essay, footnote, Isaiah, and footnote, 53, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, which he had maintained to be meant of a knowledge in Christ, not in us. So likewise that in Galatians, footnote, chapter 2, verse 20, and footnote, I live by the faith of the Son of God, which she said was the faith of Christ, and not any faith inherent in us. Also that she had maintained that Christ is our sanctification in the same sort that he is our justification, and that she had said that she would not pray for grace, but for Christ, and that, when she had been pressed with diverse scriptures which spake of washing and creating a new heart, and writing the law in the heart, etc., she had denied that they did mean any sanctification in us. There were diverse women also with whom she had dealt about the same point, who, if their modesty had not restrained them, would have borne witness against her herein, as themselves after confessed. Wherefore the elders pressed her very earnestly to remember herself, and not to stand so obstinately to maintain so manifest an untruth, but she was deaf of that care, and would not acknowledge that she had been at any time of that judgment, howsoever her expressions were. Then Mr. Conton told the assembly that whereas she had been formerly dealt with for matter of doctrine, he had, according to the duty of his place being the teacher of that church, proceeded against unto admonition, but now the case being altered, and she being in question for maintaining of untruth, which is matter of manners, he must leave the business to the pastor, Mr. Wilson, to go on with her, but withal declared his judgment in the case from that in Revelation 22, that such as make and maintain a lie ought to be cast out of the church. And whereas two or three pleaded that she might first have a second admonition, according to that in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, footnote, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, in footnote, he answered that that was only for such as erred in point of doctrine, but such as shall notoriously offend in matter of conversation, ought to be presently cast out, as he proved by Ananias and Sapphira, footnote, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, in footnote, and the incestuous Corinthian, footnote, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, in footnote, and as appears by that of Simon Magus, footnote, Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 24, in footnote, and for her own part, though she heard this, moved in her behalf, that she might have a further respite, yet she herself never desired it, so the pastor went on and propounding it to the church to know whether they were all agreed that she should be cast out, and a full consent appearing after the usual manner by their silence, 
After a convenient pause, he proceeded and denounced the sentence of excommunication against her, and she was commanded to depart out of the assembly. In her going forth, one standing at the door said, The Lord sanctify this unto you, to whom she made answer, The Lord judgeth not if man judgeth. Better to be cast out of the church than to deny Christ. Thus it hath pleased the Lord to have compassion of his poor churches here, and to discover this great impostor, an instrument of Satan, so fitted and trained to his service for interrupting the passage of the kingdom in this part of the world, and poisoning the churches here planted, as no story records the like of a woman, since that mentioned in the Revelation, it would make a large volume to lay down all passages, I will only observe some few, which were obvious to all that knew her course. First, in her entrance I observe, one, her entrance, two, her progress, three, her downfall. First, the foundation she laid was, or rather seemed to be, Christ and free grace. Second, rule she pretended to walk by was only the scripture. Third, the light to discern this rule was only the Holy Ghost. Fourth, the persons she conversed with were, for the most part, Christians in church covenant. Fifth, her ordinary talk was about the things of the kingdom of God. Sixth, her usual conversation was in the way of righteousness and kindness. Thus she entered and made up the first act of her course. In her progress, I observe, first, her success, she had in a short time insinuated herself into the hearts of many of the people, yea, of many of the most wise and godly, who grew into so reverent an esteem of her godliness and spiritual gifts as they looked at her as a prophetess, raised up of God for some great work now at hand, as the calling of the Jews, etc., so as she had more resort to her for counsel about matters of conscience and clearing up men's spiritual estates than any minister, I might say all the elders, in the country. Secondly, pride and a reigning of her spirit. First, in framing a new way of conversation and evidencing thereof, carried along in the distinction between the covenant of works, which she would have no otherwise differenced but by an immediate revelation of the Spirit. Second, in despising all, both elders and Christians, who went not her way, and laying them under a covenant of works. Third, in taking upon her infallibly to know the election of others, so as she would say, that if she had but one half-hour's talk with a man, she would tell whether he were elect or not. Fourth, her impatience of opposition, which appears in diverse passages before. Thirdly, her skill and cunning to devise. First, in that she still pretended she was of Mr. Cotton's judgment in all things. Second, in covering her errors by doubtful expressions. Third, in shadowing the true end and abuse of her weekly meetings under the name of repeating Mr. Cotton's sermons. Fourth, in her method of practice to bring the conscience under a false terror, by working that an argument of a covenant of works which no Christian can have comfort without viz of sanctification or qualifications, as she termed it. Fifth, in her confident profession of her own good estate, and the clearness and comfort of it, obtained in the same way of waiting for immediate revelation which she held out to others. In her downfall there may be observed the Lord's faithfulness in honoring and justifying his own ordinances. First, in that he made her to clear the justice of the court by confessing the vanity of her revelations, etc., and her sin in despising his ministers. Second, in that the judgment and sentence of the church hath concurred with that of the court in her rejection, so that she is cast out of both as an unworthy member of either. Third, the justice of God in giving her up to those delusions, and to that impudency in venting and maintaining them, 
and should bring her under that censure which not long before she had endeavoured and expected to have brought upon some other who opposed her proceedings fourth that she who is in such esteem in the church for soundness of judgment and sincerity of heart but a few months before should now come under admonition for many foul and fundamental errors and after be cast out for notorious lying fifth that she who is wont to be so confident of her spiritual good estate and ready undesired to hold it forth to others being pressed now at her last appearance before the church to give some proofs of it should be wholly silent in that matter sixth whereas upon the sentence of the court against her she boasted highly of her sufferings for christ etc it was noted by one of the elders who bear witness against her errors that the spirit of glory promised in peter footnote first peter chapter three verse seventeen chapter four verse fourteen in footnote to those who suffer for well-doing did not come upon her but a spirit of delusion and damnable error which it has had possessed her before so it became more effectual and evident by her sufferings seventh here is to be seen the presence of god and his ordinances when they are faithfully attended according to his holy will although not free from human infirmities this american jezebel kept her strength and reputation even among the people of god till the hand of civil justice laid hold on her and then she began evidently to decline and the faithful to be freed from her forgeries and now in this last act when she might have expected as though most likely she did by her seeming repentance of her errors and confessing her undervaluing of the ordinances of magistracy and ministracy to have redeemed her reputation in point of sincerity and yet have made good all her former work and kept open a back door to have returned to her vomit again by her periphrastical retractions and denying any change in her judgment yet such was the presence and blessing of god in his own ordinance that the subtlety of satan was discovered to her utter shame and confusion and to the setting at liberty of many godly hearts that had been captivated by her to that day and that church which by her means was brought under much infamy and near to dissolution was hereby sweetly repaired and a hopeful way of establishment and her disassembled repentance clearly detected god giving her up since the sentence of excommunication to that hardness of heart as she is not affected with any remorse but glories in it and fears not the vengeance of god which she lies under as if god did work contrary to his own word and loosed from heaven while his church had bound upon the earth footnote as to the accounts in the history and the short story mr adams remarks the inference is strong that both accounts were prepared by the same hand but while that in the short story was written at once and hurried off to england in some vessel then about to sail that in the history was set down subsequently and more at leisure this also would account for the greater warmth of expression in the short story a thing not characteristic of winthrop in footnote winthrop's journal resumed after this many of the church of boston being highly offended with the governor for this proceeding footnote the proceedings of the court against the hutchinsonians in footnote were earnest with the elders to have called them to account for it but they were not for it in it and himself understanding their intent thought fit to prevent such a public disorder and so took occasion to speak to the congregation to this effect first that if he had been called etc he would have desired first to have advised with the elders whether the church had power to call in question the proceedings of the civil court second he would have consulted with the rest of the court whether he might discover the counsels of the court to this assembly third 
though he knew that the elders and some others did know that the church could not inquire into the justice and proceedings of the court etc yet for the satisfaction of such as did not and were willing to be satisfied he would declare his mind herein fourth he showed that if the church had such power they must have it from christ but christ had disclaimed it in his practice and by rule as luke blank matthew blank and the scripture holds not out any rule or example for it and though christ's kingly power be in his church yet that is not that kingly power whereby he is king of kings and lord of lords for by that kings reign and princes etc it is true indeed that magistrates as they are church members are accountable to the church for their failings but that is when they are out of their calling for we have examples of the highest magistrates in the same kind as uzziah when he would go offer incense in the temple the officers of the church called him to account and withstood him but when asa put a prophet in prison and when salem put out abiathar from the priesthood the one being a good act and the other ill yet the officers of the church did not call either of them to account for it if a magistrate shall in a private way take away a man's goods or his servants etc the church may call him to account for it but if he doth thus in pursuing a course of justice though the thing be unjust yet he is not accountable etc fifth for himself he did nothing in the cases of the brethren but by the advice and direction of our teacher and other of the elders for in the oath which was administered to him and the rest etc there was inserted by his advice this clause in all causes wherein you are to give your vote etc you are to give your vote as in your judgment and conscience you shall see to be most for the public good etc and so for his part he was persuaded that it would be most for the glory of god and the public good to pass sentence as they did sixth he would give them one reason which was a ground for his judgment and that was for that he saw that those brethren etc were so divided from the rest of the country in their judgment and practice as it could not stand with the public peace that they should continue against us so by the example of lot in abraham's family and after hagar and ishmael he saw that they must be sent away footnote winthrop's justification of himself is interesting as coming from one naturally candid and gentle who in a great strait in a fierce contest between liberal and illiberal minds provides for the public good as well as he can according to his lights in footnote end of section ten